here we are sitting in the most beautiful location. I'm in a fantastic conservatory looking out at a beautiful wildflower meadow. I'm in Draycott and this month I'm talking to Nick Boyd. Now Nick I believe has lived in the village for many years. Nick is a retired solicitor and a very, very, very interesting man and an extraordinary knowledge on beekeeping, which is what we're discussing today. So Nick, may I say on behalf of Draycott Diaries, a very warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you for making us welcome in your home. We have a lovely cup of coffee. I have my guide dog Jackie at my feet. And we are going to ask you, Nick, some, some, some rather, um, hopefully, interesting questions about bees. Now, am I right that historically bees, honey, wax has been used right back to, what, Egyptian times? Certainly, yes. In fact, they have found honey in the pyramid. So it's certainly going back thousands of years. Honey and, importantly, beeswax, which the bees produce have been very important products which uh, us humans have, have taken advantage of. And do you think even in those days they were using it for, for candles? I mean, obviously oh, they were yes. using their honey to mm. eat, but... Yes, the principal use of, uh, of beeswax before the onset of electricity, because it burns beautifully, it makes the most wonderful candles, much nicer than the ordinary candle wax that you tend to buy in the shops these days. And, and so that would have been one of the principal uses of it. I am, as you know, a complete novice. What I know about beekeeping, you could put on A4 white sheet of paper. But the only things I do know, Nick, is that there is a queen bee, a worker bee, and a drone bee. Am I right? And are you able to tell me a little bit more about, really, I know it's, it's an extraordinarily complex system, but the very basic terms of from A to Z of how we get to the lovely honey that we often have on our breakfast table as in the morning. Yes, the, the, you're right. The, the, a colony of bees will comprise uh, one queen. Then you have the workers who are all females produced from the same egg which the queen lays. The workers are infertile. And then you have the male bees who are the drones whose only purpose in life is to mate with other virgin queens. <laughs> Sounds like a good job, well, for a drone anyway. <laughs> yes, the, 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 the drones don't do any other work. They don't forage. They don't bring in the nectar and the pollen uh, to support the, the colony. And they don't do any of the jobs round the hive. They, they're incapable of, of building the comb, removing dead bees and throwing them out, keeping the, the colony and, and the hive uh, clean inside. So it's the female workers who do all the, all the work. Isn't there a lovely quote, Nick? I think we, when we were talking earlier on, didn't you say there was a, a lovely um, description? Is it the Oxford Dictionary? If you look up honey in the Oxford Dictionary, it has a, a number of different meanings, uh, such as an attractive girl, a sweetheart, and also a sweet, sticky, yellowish-brown fluid made by bees from flower nectar. Well, I think that, <laughs> that sums up very, very nice about what we're talking about today. So, Nick, so we know, and you've just described that really well, that particularly the drones. Do, I mean, 
uh, I'm, I promise you, I'm not being gender specific here, but you know, they are blokes, aren't they? They sort of just seem to hang around, not do. They do. The females all seem to be workers. They seem to be going out doing an enormous amount of work mm -hmm. and looking after their queen. So, what are they doing when we're looking at your beautiful wildlife meadow here? So, one of the workers says it's a lovely day and she's she's going out into your meadow. Describe to me exactly what she's doing and what she's bringing back to the hive. When the worker originally emerges from, from her cell, her initial jobs are all within the hive, doing the housework, as it were. And then you will see, as they get a few days older, you'll see them orientating in front of the hive, coming out of the hive, orient, orientating in front of it. Before then, when they're a few days older, then they go off and start doing the foraging work. Bees have a wonderful ability to come out, forage, and go back to the precise position of their, uh, of their hive. So they, they're very good at mapping the surrounding area. So when they go off to forage, then they will be looking for flowers that produce nectar and pollen. Principally, the nectar is is the fluid they take back and that's what actually becomes the honey and that is the carbohydrate uh, and then the pollen which they also forage on and they take back and they store that that is the protein so they need both both food sources. How many different types of bees do we have for example in this country and, and do they all make honey? Probably there's something over 200 different species of bees. Mostly they lead a solitary existence, most are solitary bees. And any, any interaction with uh, other members of the species is only for reproduction. Give an example, we have one particular solitary bee. We have little drain holes in the windows and a solitary bee will build a little mud cell inside, fill it with pollen, lay her egg and then seal it up. And then off she goes. So that's a solitary bee. That's how solitary bees work. The social bees, which are only about 10% of the, of the overall number of Including types of bees, bees. In, which include the honeybees, the social bees, those in the main are, are bumblebees and honeybees. And the bumblebee, I just have to make reference because everybody loves a bumblebee, mm. don't they? The bumblebees don't store. They, they will also forage on the nectar and the pollen, but they don't store it. So they only take it back to the colony for the colony's immediate needs. By contrast, this is why honeybees are a very unusual insect in the fact that they take their nectar and pollen back and store it. And the reason they do so is because of the different way they've evolved. Whereas most insects only the fertile female, the queen, actually survives the winter by hibernating. The unusual thing about the honeybee is that they don't hibernate. The queen and a substantial number of the worker, the infertile worker bees, will live through the winter and that's why they need a store of food, the honey and the pollen, because there's not much to forage on in the winter. They need that to get them through uh, the oh, winter months. And uh, we're all quite familiar with the cone and the, you know, as kids we all kind of have that lovely vision of the, uh, of, of the honeycomb. Now, the holes, I can't see them anymore sadly, but from memory, 
They're hexagonal, is that right? Is there a yes. reason why they're hexagonal? They're hexagonal because that's a very efficient way of constructing them because they, you don't have any gaps between the individual cells. The cells pick, fit perfectly together. So you get your, your, your comb with all these cells, and there are two sorts of cells. Well, there are three sorts in a way. There's two sorts of the ordinary cells. The smaller one is the one that the queen lays her fertile egg in, which is always a female. And the slightly larger cell is where she will lay an egg, which then is an infertile one, which is always becomes a drone, the male bee. I see, I see. And surrounding the queen, the, the other name that I think a lot of people will go, oh yes, I've seen that in Holland and Barrett. There are other, obviously, st stores that do health products. But this thing called royal jelly. Now, yes. um, is that right that the queen sits in a very specific, that isn't honey, it's a different type of liquid, mm -hmm. but is that right? It's very high in protein, it's yes. something to do with her reproductives. Indeed, for, for every egg that's laid, all the workers will have a tiny, tiny bit, all the, all, all the, 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 the eggs and larvae which are, are going to become ordinary infertile workers or drones, will have a tiny bit of royal jelly, but uh, that will only produce, as I say, infertile workers or a male drone bee, depending on the type of egg that's been laid. If the bees decide that, th that they want to produce more queens, because normally you will just have the one queen in the hive, they will build a slightly different cell, which hangs down, so it won't be the ordinary comb. The queen lays her egg in it, and they then fill it, or put a, quite a substantial amount of royal jelly in, which is a white substance, as you say, a lot of protein. And when the egg hatches, the larvae will then be swimming, literally swimming uh, upside down in this, in this jelly-like type substance. And when you look up into the cell, you can see, see the larvae in the middle of this white substance, this royal jelly. It's expensive to produce, and, and because the, that particular larvae then gets fed to a much greater extent than the ordinary worker larvae, she will then turn into a, a fertile queen. I see. So, it's, it's, so with the difference between the infertile worker and the queen uh, is determined purely on how the workers feed that larvae. So let's just talk about the actual substance that we know as honey that's in the comb. When they first bring the, the honey in, in nectar form, it's quite runny, isn't it? I mean, possibly yes. runnier than we would eat, oh, yes. eat it. So what, how does it then thicken up to become the consistency yes. that we know as sort of runny honey? Mm. Yes, what happens, the nectar varies. The nectar in, in individual different sorts of flowers varies a lot, but it's, it has a sweetness in it, which is why they forage, but it normally has a high water content as well. So different, uh, you, you find bees actually forage, prefer different, uh, they love cherry, for example, because I think it's very rich in the sugar. But when it's brought back to the hive, it looks like, when you look at it in the cell, it looks like sort of water. And if you turn the, the, the comb on its end, as opposed to upright, then very often it will drip out because it's still so liquid. So what the bees do is they reduce the water content by the heat which they produce in the hive. From their own bodies? From their own bodies, oh. from the fact that there, there are a lot, of, a lot of bees in the hive uh, and they're all producing energy, they're obviously feeding and they're producing energy. Then th that will actually then evaporate 
the, the water in the nectar. So it's a similar thing, Nick, isn't it? When you're cooking and you're reducing a sauce, mm. you know, a wine sauce or something, you just heat it and heat it until it becomes You evaporate the water off. And that's what happens. And when, when the, the nectar which they stored gets down to a, a water content of something in the region of 18%, then what the bees do is they cap, that when it's the right consistency, they cap the cell with, uh, with, with their wax, with the wax which they produce from their wax gland. Uh, and, and that then is the honey, that, that is the honey which, it, which is ready to extract for us. Okay. So that's, it, that's some very, very blue Peter terms. They've gone off and they've collected the pollen mm. and the nectar and they've taken it back. And, and all the little cells now are filling up with nectar. And the queen is being very well looked after with this amazing royal jelly liquid, therefore going on to the next generation. But one of the more serious, well, I mean, it's, all of this is very serious, and I know it's a lot more complex than we have the opportunity to talk about today. But, but what I wanted to get a grasp on, Nick, you said, you know, there's nearly 300 or over 300 uh, bees in, uh, known in this country. What is the environmental impact the bees have on our foodstuffs? Mm. Uh, because obviously our planet is, is pretty well stretched to capacity at the moment. The bees and other uh, pollinating insects uh, play a, huge, a hugely important part in um, pollinating a, a lot of the, of the plants of the trees and plants on which we rely for our, our, our food. So without them, that would have a devastating effect on the ability of the plants to reproduce themselves for a start. So the honeybee plays a hugely important part, particularly in, in our northerly climb, because when you, when you get to the early spring and you get a lot of the, the uh, things like cherry, plum, uh, apple, all flowering. They need insects to pollinate, to, to enter those flowers, pollinate them, to move the pollen from one flower to another so that the plant can reproduce, gets its fertile seed, as it were, its fruit. Uh, but the honeybee is, is of vital importance at that time because there's not too many other pollinating insects around. You've got things like the bumblebees, the wasps, who've only, uh, only the fertile queen has survived the winter, emerging, having to rebuild their colonies from a start. So there are not many of those around at that time. But the honeybee, because the colony, the whole colony has survived the winter, they are the most common insect in the early spring available to do the pollination. Oh, I see. So that's why they're so important. I, I read a statistic, and tell me whether you think this is over-enthusiastic about it, but I'd heard that we would lose maybe up to 75% of fruit and vegetables if we did not have bees. I, believe that, I, I believe that's so, yes. That's my, my understanding as well, yes. This is, this is a challenging question for you, Nick, but what I'm going to ask you anyway is, is there such a thing as bees' knees? <laughs> <laughs> Not actually in the colony itself, I think, actually. <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> but bees do have... If you look at the picture of a bee, yeah. it does have, have knees on its legs, oh, yes. it does. Will a bee die when it stings you? If a honeybee stings you, what happens is that it will normally die because it's a barb sting. 
and the whole sting unit breaks off from the bee and the muscle pumping the venom into you will carry on working. So it maximizes the, the effect of the, of the okay. sting which you get. That bee then flies off, but that will die because okay. he's, lost his, he's lost that particular organ from his body. So he won't, he won't survive. By contrast, that doesn't happen with wasps. A wasp has, a, has an unbarbed sting and he can sting you as many and times as he likes. So a wasp will go on and sting again? Yes, he can. I kind of feel, if, you know, if a bee stings me, I mean, mm. it's sad, but I feel it, mm. you know, but a wasp, so they can go on again. That's really yes. annoying. Yes. That's right. So hopefully when we go and see them, yep. we we'll won't have too many bees that will okay. try and sting us. Well, we're us. going to go out in a second, Nick. Thank you so much, because I know this is a very complex thing. And, mm. uh, and I think the only way we could attack it today was to do it in very simple terms yes. for someone like myself. But Nick, I know that you're a member of the Somerset Beekeepers mm -hmm. Association mm -hmm. for Webmore and Cheddar. If people were interested and wanted to think about bees, because from what you've been saying to us today, environmentally, it is vital for us to, to continue to sustain mm. this planet. And I know there's books because, you know, believe it or not, I did mm. a bit of research and, and, and that's fine. But do the Beekeepers Association, do they run courses? If people are interested in finding out what the starter, mm -hmm. you know, what the best hive is to get the best equipment and stuff, how, how would people, would you suggest, um, uh, go about it? Contacting the association. They have a website, obviously, and you can go in and, and, and look on the website. And, and yes, you, normally they, they will put you in touch with courses that are run. In our little, our little branch, our little Cheddar and Wedmore one, uh, through the summer months, because we don't have actually what they call a teaching apiary. Some, some of the branches do have their own teaching apiary where they congregate perhaps every weekend. That's how I started. I used to go to a teaching apiary in, in Bristol. Then we were told how to handle the bees and so on. But with our little branch, because we don't, we're only fairly small, we tend to have meetings once a month at each other's apiaries. Oh, lovely. So last Sunday, they, everybody came round to me here. Yes. So, uh, because quite near you, you've got, um, those of us who are local in Somerset, the Seegers who yes. grow strawberries, because we are in what we know as the strawberry capital of the world here, aren't we? Yeah. So oh, pollination yes. is really important. <laughs> And I know the strawberry farmers, they have a beehive in their, mm. in, mm. in their strawberry growing um, tunnels. And, and I know Nettie Wills up the road, yes. she's got bees. So there's quite a few people in the village. And presumably everybody's bees mix and get on all right? Yes. Normally each hive has its own sort of scent to it. Uh, bees are inveterate robbers. They're not too bad this time of year. But when you come into the autumn, when, the, when there's not so much nectar around... If you've got a weak colony, sometimes you find that a stronger colony will try and pinch the honey from the weaker one oh, no. and can actually destroy it because obviously yeah, they so. take all, all, all the honey away. So you tend to get at each hive, there are, will be workers who are defending the hive and will attack any foreign guard bee, bees. guard bees yeah. that, that try to come in. Curiously, the, what, the, the bees they do allow in, the one sort that they do, they allow drones in. They don't, don't attack the drones if they try and come in. <laughs> Listen, Nick, I think, um, I think we need to get in our bee suits, okay. aren't we? Yep. So we are, now this is my finest comedy line, all right, Nick. Um, we're getting into BPE. <laughs> yes. All right, for those of you who didn't get the joke, it's bee protective equipment. Exactly. Which is quite current at the moment, isn't it, since we're wearing yes. bee rather for other reasons. So Nick, let's go and get ready and, okay. um, and let's get up there and yeah. talk me through it, which we'll have to do, obviously, because I can't see yes, it. Yes, okay. Great. So I'll see you up at the hives yes, in a minute. Yes, okay. Right. 
We're going up through the wildflower meadow. Jackie Dog's with us, but she probably won't get very close because she's pretty sensitive to knowing about the bees. Nick's in front of me. He's got a box under his arm. And we're just approaching the hives. It's an area sort of... Well, it's kind of got a green netting area around it just so that people know that this is the area of bees. So we're just going in now. And I'm going to be very cautious. And Nick will tell me exactly where we can stand. We don't go to the front of the hives because that's where hey, the guard bees are. Don't stay in front of it. First of all, how many hives have we got here? at the moment six six and what is this box you've got oh is it a smoking it's my box with all my bits like my hive tool yeah um, and then what i usually do i've got a couple of towels in here because when i go down into the brood box i like to keep most of the frames covered up with the towel and just look at it each individually as i take them out it just keeps them a bit quieter and why do you use smoke the, the purpose of the smoke is to calm the bees uh, but the, the smoke itself doesn't do the calming. What it is, is if you can imagine a, a wild colony uh, in a forest which has caught fire, the, the smoke will be a warning to the bees that there's some disaster approaching. That makes them feed because they might have to up and go and leave. If the fire comes through, they might actually have to decamp and go and find somewhere else to live. So what they do when they smell the smoke is to consume more honey just in case they need the energy later the stores later if there's a crisis further on so it's it's that which calms them down oh, filling themselves up with food is actually has a calming influence on them yeah. so what are we going to do now Nick? we'll look at is that hive over there okay jackie my guide dog is staying a very good distance away she seems to sense that this is not an area <laughs> should be in fact, all the bees here are, have quite, uh, normally quite good tempered. You do get some, because the queen is the mother of all the bees in, in the colony, the temper of the colony is determined by her. So you get some queens that seem to breed very fierce bees and some, some, some queens that uh, to produce bees that are very calm indeed. I will now take the roof so you're off. Now taking the, lift off. the next thing you find is, is the, what they call the crown board. Now you can either have a solid board, I like to have my crown board so I, as a window so I can look down and see what the bees are doing in there. So is it like a glass panel? It's just a glass panel, yes. Oh, okay. I just shift that off. So that's what they call a clearer board. This is another board? Th th this is another board which I would normally use when I want to take the honey off. Oh, okay. So that I can remove the bees right. from these, these boxes at the top here, which are called the supers. Okay, and in the supers, if I'm right, um, through very little sight I have left, are where you have what I call the sort of... Well, what do you call them? The slats that actually they the they frames. make the, the frames. They yeah. make the comb. And how many frames are we looking at? Uh, the the boxes take eleven frames. Okay. So there we go. Okay, so right, we'll take this off. Frame. This is so this is the bees' yes, business here. The, the, oh wow! This the, is extraordinary. So, so we're really in the works of the hive now, mm. Nick. So now I'll just puff a little mm -hmm. bit of smoke over the top. I'll take one of these frames out, actually, because then the, I'll show you what, what, what has happened to it. Okay, so you're going to lift a frame out. So I'm taking a frame out, and this one has lots of very nice honey in it. 
most of this side of the frame. The honey is, has been capped, so it's ready to be extracted. There's just a little bit of uncapped honey, which the, the bees still need to reduce the, uh, a bit more moisture from, or, or they need to store a little bit more in there before they can so cap it. So those that have been capped means that the honey is the right consistency yes. and uh, the right moment for you as a beekeeper to harvest. That's right. I could actually probably take that, you know, harvest this now, but I shan't. Because it's been a poor spring, we've now just coming into the main nectar flow through July, which is the, the blackberry and the clover and a lot of the garden, garden plants for the bees to forage on. So this is the time of year. The colonies are at full strength, end of June. So they will then now be going be able to get out they're not feeding masses of new brood there is brood in here but the, the, the worker numbers are at their maximum now is the time when they need to cram in as much of the stores that they can ready for the, 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 the later year when, when they'll have to rely on those stores to keep themselves alive so Nick do you ever supplement the hives with any kind of food stuff for example, I mean, if weather conditions are really poor mm. and they can't gather the nectar and pollen that they would normally be able to mm. gather. Normally, when I take the honey off, in, uh, the main crop off in August, uh, then I will have taken away from the bees a lot of the stores that they would have normally rely on through the winter to keep themselves alive. So then, because I've removed a lot of their stores, I need to make sure they've got enough stores left in the hive to get them through the winter. They will, let's just pop that one. Oh, wow. So Nick's taken off another section. We're now probably at the bottom section. I right. think this is... So now I've taken off the, I've taken off the three supers, right. which is where we would normally harvest the honey from. Okay, and supers are the boxes that carry the frames? Get, uh, ca carry those smaller frames. The smaller frames. The same frames go in here, but they're bigger. Okay. So what we've got now is a queen excluder, okay. which is a mesh which stops the queen coming up into the the supers and oh, laying her brood, yes. So, but the other bees can get through it. So the workers, the workers the can get, through, but not well, the, not the drones. No, the drones are too oh, big. Actually, no. the drones can't get through. So just the workers. Just the workers. So, will you be able to see the queen? Well, we'll have a look, and oh, hopefully, we can find it. I'll just take that off. So there we are. Pop that down there. This is the brood box we're looking into now. Okay. So I'll just puff a little bit of smoke over there. We'll find the queen. How many how many bees would there be in a in a hive? I mean, how many bees do you think? Yeah, this time of year, you would want your colony to, to have somewhere between fifty thousand and eighty thousand bees in it. Okay. And that's quite good. That's, a, that's fine. She's looking very well. She's doing well. This queen. It's a good queen in this, this hive. A good queen in this one. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to meet her. Well, if we can find her. Yeah, as you're looking for one bee amongst 50 or 80,000, it can, can a be a bee bit, in a haystack. It can be a bit tricky. Wow. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's just how you want it. Fantastic, that. Why are there so many more bees in this, on these frames at the bottom of the brew box than there are? And the first ones we took uh, over. Because they're looking after the brood. Um, I see, I see. Because those boxes, there aren't a, uh, this, this is important. Lovely sealed brood there. Mm. 
So, Nick, you're just pulling out this frame now. Do you think... Well, what Can you see anything there? Yes, this, this frame, which is near the middle of the brood box, uh, has the Queen on it. Oh, wow! Can and, you see her? And that uh, Queen has a... Uh, because uh, just to make it make her easy to find amongst all the other uh, bees in the hive, she's been marked with a little bit of blue dot on her thorax, so she stands out very well. I mean, I can't see her, but whereabouts in the box is she, Nick? Just there. Just, just there. Just in the middle, walking up the t- towards the top of the frame now. Wow. I can see. I can see something, but sadly, I mean, my sight is yes. letting me down. But I know you can see it, Nick, and I know we've got a, yes, a photograph the, yes, of it. Yes. And she's looking healthy and well. It looks very well. Very nice, calm queen, not dashing about on the frame. Good. And this frame actually not only does it have brood on it, uh, sealed brood and unsealed, mm. but also up this end, uh, quite a quite a bit of chunk of stored pollen which is, as I mentioned before, is the protein which the bees will need to, uh, to uh, eat in addition to the honey. Wow, Nick, this has been absolutely fascinating. Well, I think we're going to, um, we're going to leave it now because okay. we want to keep yep. the bees calm, don't we? And we want to put yep. them all back together. So I would just, Nick, love to take this opportunity from everybody who listens to Draycott Diaries podcast to thank you for taking the time today talking to us and introducing us to your amazing, amazing bee apiary. Well, well, it's been a great pleasure. I always like showing people my bees. (laughs) But not all that many people like me to like to come and see them. (laughs) Nick Boyd, thank you very, very much indeed. Wow, well, I'm still surrounded by the amazing sound of bees. What an extraordinary sense. So it's a lovely and a very warm thank you to Nick Boyd for all his wonderful knowledge that he's told us all about this morning. I'd like to thank Jeff Barney, who edited and recorded this programme, to my brother, Hugh Chathown, who arranged the music. I was the voice. My name's Tiggy, and we shall see you at Draycott Diaries again on August the 14th. Stay safe out there.